Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, greetings. If we haven't met, my name is Joe Ash Thomas, and what a joy it is to be here. So I get to do justice work with churches all across Canada, and I can tell you for a fact that your church is incredibly unique, and it's incredibly rare. I mean, to begin with, just take a look around you. You're pretty multi-ethnic. And on top of that, you're not just multi-ethnic in a diverse way, but you also seem to have a lot of gender diversity in your leadership. And on top of that, I get the sense that you're also pretty inclusive, right? So when Pastor Jonathan asked me to come and teach on how, how to include people you don't have a lot in common with, I felt like I was being asked to come preach to the choir a little bit this morning. But we'll give this a shot and see how it goes. I'm excited for our time together. But before we jump in, let me first tell you a little bit about myself. You know, when I tell people that I spent the first 18 years of my life in Mumbai, India, they usually think my childhood looked something like this. Because of the movie Slumdog Millionaire. But my childhood actually looked more like this. And this is actually the neighborhood that my family lived in before we moved to the US. So naturally, moving to the US was a bit of a downgrade for us. <laughs> but let me tell you a little bit about the organization that I work for, an organization that your church is now partnering with. So I've had the joy of working for International Justice Mission or IJM, all over the world for the last seven and a half years now. IJM is the world's largest anti-slavery organization. Over the past 25 years, IJM has helped rescue more than 76,000 people from slavery and violence all over the world. And on top of that, we've helped build inclusive justice systems, systems that have protected more than 8 million people from violence, including slavery. And we do this work as Christians because we believe that the grace of God is radically inclusive. It's radically inclusive. So even though I grew up in a strong Christian home, and even though my parents are some of the most generous people that I know of, I really struggled with this idea of inclusion growing up. You know, I'll never forget that night that my parents decided to be good Samaritans to a drunk driver, or should I say, a drunk scooter rider. I was eight, my sister was four, and I remember us driving back home one night and seeing a bit of a crowd on the side of the highway. So naturally, my dad being dad gets out of the car to go investigate. And the next thing I know, he brings over this random guy with blood all over his shirt. And he looks at me and says, Joash, move over. We're giving Joseph a ride to the hospital. 
Now let me describe Joseph a little bit for you. The first thing that I remember about Joseph was the blood all over his shirt. The next thing I remembered about him was a weird smell coming from his breath, the smell of alcohol. And as if that wasn't uncomfortable enough, Joseph started talking to me. Now, I can't remember much of the conversation, uh, but I remember him looking at me and saying, hey, kid, what's your name? Because, you know, he was drunk. Um, And his next question to me was a bit more personal. It was, where'd you go to school? And I remember feeling so uncomfortable that I lied. I gave him the wrong school. In fact, I was so uncomfortable that I was angry. Angry at my dad. Why would my dad force me to share space with someone like Joseph? And why should I suffer for this drunk guy's poor life decisions? I mean, why would my dad even put me in an uncomfortable situation like this? And Joseph wasn't just drunk and bloody. He was a drunk and bloody Catholic. I mean, seriously, Dad? Let me give some more context in case you're offended. We were non-alcoholic Protestants, okay? And my parents still believe to this day that drinking alcohol is a sin. Sorry to throw you under the bus, Mom and Dad, in case you're watching this. But here they were helping this drunk guy who got himself in a mess. And, you know, I think at a deeper level, I was uncomfortable with what Joseph represented. And I remember just thinking, Dad, I I get that this is the right thing to do. I mean, I remember reading a story like this somewhere in the Bible. But why does it have to be us, Dad? And why does it have to be someone so different like Joseph? Joseph represented something that I was raised to think of as morally wrong, as unclean even, an alcoholic, a drunk man, and yeah, a Catholic. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever been in a situation where you know what you were supposed to do? And you know that you were supposed to share the grace of Jesus with someone in a moment, but you still felt really conflicted? Because your religion or your society had conditioned you to think that excluding others is okay. You know, our 21st century Canadian society cares deeply about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the reality is that many of us in the church who care deeply about diversity, equity, and inclusion wrestle with our Christian faith. We think that our values of diversity, equity, and inclusion somehow conflict with our Christian faith. But here's the thing. If we're really living out our faith Jesus' way and the Holy Spirit's way, we'll soon come to realize that our values of diversity, equity, and inclusion aren't actually diverse, equitable, and inclusive enough. Because being inclusive Jesus' way is deeply uncomfortable. And being inclusive the Holy Spirit's way is even more uncomfortable. 
especially when we're thinking about people on the margins of society, especially when we're thinking of people we may not have a lot in common with. People you do not want to share space with. So what does it look like to share space with others you don't have a lot in common with? Let's see what the Bible has to say. You know, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18 is a beautiful text. And we're going to go through this text and pay special attention to Peter. Now, why Peter? Well, as you know, we're in the middle of this sermon series called Brutiful Faith, about the life of Peter. But more importantly, I want to zoom in on Peter this morning because I feel like there are many of us here who need to have a Peter moment in our lives. A moment of being corrected by God towards radical inclusion. But before we jump into Acts chapter 11, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this beautiful time and this beautiful church. Thank you for scripture and for speaking to us through it even today. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning. I pray that all other voices would fade away, all other distractions would fade away so that your voice would be the loudest voice in the room. Now I'm gonna ask you if you're comfortable, you talk to God in your heart for a moment and you ask God to speak to you from the Bible this morning. Let's do that for a few moments in our hearts. Now, if you would, I'm going to ask that you pray for me, that my words would be helpful in pointing you to Jesus and his radical inclusion. Let's do that for a few moments. Well, Father, we love you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So today we're going to look at three things, if you're taking notes. A crisis, a correction, and a choice. A crisis, a correction, and a choice. The crisis is seen in the first nine verses of Acts chapter 11. The crisis is the discomfort of inclusion. The discomfort of inclusion. Let's start with verses one to three. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now here's some context. Up until that point in church history, the early church was only made up of Jewish Christians. And sure, you had some diversity, you had some multi-ethnicity among uh, Jewish Christians back then. Like in Acts chapter 6, we see uh, the Hebrew Jewish people and the Greek Jewish people but they were still mostly Jewish people at the end of the day, not much more diversity than that. But now, things had changed because the early Jewish Christians had just heard a concerning report, something that had never happened before. The Gentiles or non-Jewish people had received the word of God. The Gentiles or non-Jewish people had received the grace of God. And this 
was kind of a big deal. So here's the thing. We here in the West are so used to being selfish with our faith, right? We think our faith is just for us. So we make our faith about just us. But when we think this way, we forget that we were once Gentiles too. When we think this way, we forget that we were once far away from the grace of God ourselves. And if it weren't for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we'd still be far away from the grace of God. But the Christian faith is really not about just us. And it's not for just us. It's for all of creation. Especially those on the margins of society. Especially those who were never included by the church or by society in the first place. People we do not seem to have a lot in common with. Now the interesting thing is that Jesus had already said all this stuff before. Like none of this was new. Jesus had been saying this from his very first words in public ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, Jesus said this in a synagogue, that too. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, as someone who was born and raised in a colonized country, this sounds like radical inclusion. It sounds like radical inclusion. In fact, Jesus' message was so offensive and was so radically inclusive that after he said these words, you can read this, it's in your Bibles, after he said these words, he was literally picked up by his audience and they tried to throw him off a cliff for saying this because it was offensive and it was offensively radically inclusive because Jesus' good news wasn't just good news for the Jewish people. It's also good news for us, the Gentiles. And it isn't just good news for us, but it's also good news for people in poverty and oppression, people on the margins, people we think we don't have a lot in common with. So let's jump back to Acts chapter 11, where Peter is trying to explain the radical inclusivity of the spirit that he just witnessed and experienced. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered a second time. What God has made clean, you must not call impure. What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now, some of us are wondering, are we still talking about food here? Well, not really. Here's what's going on here. The Jewish people for centuries had dismissed everyone else as impure or unclean. But, but here was Peter, a proud, 
stubborn Jewish Christian being corrected by God and being told by God that what God has made clean, we must not call impure. All of us on earth, all of us, regardless of race, ethnicity, sex, or gender, all of us are made in the holy and pure image of God. No one is unclean. You know, our 21st century society loves the concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as we should. You know, as Christians, all of us should be about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But sadly, and quite often fairly, Christians are seen as people who are opposed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is a shame. It's a shame because the grace of God is radically inclusive. It's radically inclusive. And the grace of God compels us to include people on the margins of society. Even those that are religions and societies for generations have looked down upon as unclean or impure. So allow me to draw your attention to one such group that religions and societies everywhere have looked down upon as unclean or impure. Women and girls who are victims of sexual exploitation. Women and girls who are victims of sexual exploitation. Now many of you are familiar with gender-based violence. And in a couple of weeks, we as Canadians will celebrate 16 days of activism to end gender-based violence. But let me share a few shocking statistics with you about how bad this problem of violence against women and girls is. One in three women globally have experienced violence, either physical or sexual in nature. Now, thankfully, here in Canada, we have a justice system that works. Because it may not be a perfect justice system, but at the end of the day, it's a system that still works for most of us, right? Because for the most part, if a woman or a girl in Canada is ever subject to violence, there is a 911 number to call. And for the most part, there is access to justice through functioning law enforcement or judicial system. But the harsh reality is that most women and girls around the world do not have an inclusive justice system. More than five billion people today, most of them women and girls, live outside the protection of the law. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you a few examples. In Bolivia, where IJM works, you're statistically more likely to slip in the bathroom and die than ever be convicted by a court of law for abusing a woman or a girl. In South Asia, including the country that I'm from, you're statistically more likely to be struck by lightning than ever be convicted in a court of law for trafficking a woman or a girl into forced labor slavery. In the Northern Triangle countries of El Salvador and Honduras, where IJM also works, more than 90%, 90% of sexual assault cases against women and girls go unreported. Why? Because these justice systems have always been uninclusive towards their women and girls, especially women and girls from poor communities. In fact, one of the most pervasive forms of violence against girls right now 
is in a country that's near and dear to many of you. This beautiful country called the Philippines. You know, before the internet, criminals had to physically go to a bar or a brothel to find little girls to exploit. But today, because of the internet, criminals located anywhere in Canada can abuse little girls online without ever leaving their homes. Here's how this works. Someone here in Toronto or in Ontario can find a trafficker in the Philippines online for as little as $50 an hour and can pay for the live-streamed abuse of little children. These perpetrators are shielded by the virtual nature of the internet. But let me assure you, there is absolutely nothing that's virtual about this crime. Little girls, little boys, like our girls and our boys, are forced to perform sex acts on themselves or on each other or with an adult or they're exploited in other violent ways that I'm not even going to begin to describe in church this morning. There are an estimated 750,000 predators online right now looking for, looking for children in the Philippines to prey on. Over the past 10 years, my colleagues at IJM Philippines have helped local authorities build inclusive justice systems that have rescued more than 1,000 little children from this crime. And these are children of all ages. But just so you know, the youngest child that we ever rescued was two months old. Now, what does that have to do with inclusion? Well, the reality is that these injustices exist because of uninclusive justice systems. Justice systems that were set up centuries ago by colonial powers to protect their interests. Justice systems that were designed to exclude women and girls. Especially women and girls in poverty. So that's the crisis, the discomfort of inclusion both at an individual and at a systemic level, even in our justice systems around the world. But let's talk about the correction. What's the correction of the Holy Spirit in light of this crisis? The correction of the Spirit is radical inclusion. It's radical inclusion. In verses 15 to 17, we see Peter's description of what happened when Peter showed up to show grace and to share space with the Gentiles. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? How could I possibly hinder God? I want us to catch this. Here's Peter saying something that's very important. God is going to accomplish his purposes with or without us. God is going to accomplish his purposes with or without us. 
And we have a choice in that. Are we going to participate with God? Are we going to resist God? How could I possibly hinder God? You know, if you don't believe me about God conducting his purposes with or without us, just look at the conversation in our culture today about diversity, equity, and inclusion. For centuries, the church in North America has resisted the radical inclusivity of the Holy Spirit, and we've resisted the radical inclusivity of the kingdom of God. So what's happened? Well, because we've resisted this, especially towards our black and indigenous neighbors, we've missed an opportunity. For centuries, the church has had the opportunity to be on the front lines of diversity, equity, and inclusion in North America. But instead, as with the case of the residential schools across Canada, for too often, we've been the oppressors ourselves. So now that we've rejected this correction of the spirit for generations, God is achieving that through society and culture because he doesn't really need us to achieve his purposes, especially if we become a hindrance. How could I possibly hinder God, Peter asks. How could our lack of inclusion, how could our lack of inclusiveness be hindering God? I wish more of us in the church would really wrestle with this question especially when it came to justice issues. And I'm not just talking about the systemic things, like organizational inclusion. I'm talking about the little individual things too, like our calendars and our household budgets. How much time are you dedicating this week towards acts of kindness? How much money are you dedicating from your monthly budgets to be inclusive to people on the margins of society? And if not, what's stopping us from dedicating more time and more money towards inclusion the Spirit's way? Let me land the plane on this text by showing us what happens when Peter receives the correction of the Spirit towards radical inclusion. Verse 18, when they heard this, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, so then, God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. I want you to catch this. Repentance resulting in life. Because repentance results in life. You know, the irony here is that the Jewish Christian leaders give thanks to God for the repentance of the Gentiles while completely ignoring their own need to repent of their uninclusiveness. But they ultimately repent and they ultimately turn toward the Spirit's way of radical inclusion. How do we know this? Well, just keep reading the next few verses and chapters of Acts. We see a movement being born out of Peter's repentance and the early church leaders' repentance. A movement that results in the planting of inclusive, multi-ethnic church communities, just like your church, all across the Greco-Roman world. And in verse 22, we see a guy named Barnabas who's sent out from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey bordering Syria. And as we see in Acts 13, the church in Antioch ends up being an inclusive, multi-ethnic church community with Jewish, Greek, and African leaders. And it's Barnabas who vouches for this guy named Paul who ends up being sent by the church in Antioch 
to plant other multi-ethnic inclusive churches like this one all across the Greco-Roman world. And not just across the Greco-Roman world, but also in far off places like Egypt, Ethiopia, Persia, and India, where my ancestors became Christians because of the apostle Thomas. You see, if Peter hadn't allowed himself to be corrected by the Spirit, and if Peter hadn't repented of his lack of inclusiveness, I wouldn't be here today. And if Peter hadn't repented of his lack of inclusiveness with the early church leaders, you wouldn't be here either. Because repentance towards radical inclusion results in life. So we talked about a crisis, the discomfort of inclusion. We talked about a correction, the challenge of radical inclusion by the Spirit. Let's now talk about the choice. Peter made a choice. He chose the Spirit's way of radical inclusion. And you and I are evidence of Peter's choice. God, the Father, made a choice. He chose to send his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world to include us in the kingdom of God. What will your choice be today? Will you choose the Spirit's way of radical inclusion? Or will you resist the Spirit's pull towards inclusion? So how do we include others we don't have a lot in common with? I want to leave us with three ways to do this inspired by the acts of the apostles in the early church. Number one, acts of love. Acts of love. You know, one of the things that makes your church so unique is your love army, right? And such an honor to be here on your two-year anniversary of love army. I can tell you for a fact, because I work across the Canadian church, that this is incredibly unique. There are not a lot of churches across Canada that do something like this at the scale that you've done this. 100,000 acts of love. Wow. And you're almost there. You're almost there. So hang in there. Hang in there with Love Army. Do everything that you can to be unignorably good. Because when we love others we don't have a lot in common with, we show them the radically inclusive love that God first showed us with our actions, with our lives. Number two, acts of generosity. It gives me great joy to share that your church has just committed to a partnership with IJM in the Philippines. And I have no doubt that the online sexual exploitation of children in the Philippines will come to an end one day. Why? Because I've already seen God do this in the city that I was born and raised in. You know, when IJM started working in my city with law enforcement more than 20 years ago, child sex trafficking was everywhere. It was rampant across the city. But today, after making the justice system more inclusive by rescuing and restoring thousands of minor girls, convicting dozens of traffickers, and training tens of thousands of police officers, there are now zero children being trafficked for sex in my city. This is what we're going to do together in the Philippines. Now, just so you know, the work of inclusion is, is expensive. It's expensive because including others Jesus' way will always cost you something. 
always. Here's the thing. Your church has generously committed to funding two rescue operations a year in the Philippines every single year. That's a huge deal. So give generously to your church's global focus efforts. Give generously to fund the work of inclusion and inclusive justice systems through global focus. But don't just give to global focus. Give also to Love Army. Your church has a goal of raising $50,000 this weekend for Love Army. And this may seem like an audacious goal. And I know that all of us are being asked to pitch in $50. But here's the thing. I feel like there are some of us who've listened to this message and are feeling convicted by the Spirit's pull towards radical inclusion, especially through generosity. And you know that your family has had a great year. Your business has had a great quarter. And you're probably looking at this 50,000 number and thinking, you know what? My family could do a lot more. My family could do a big part of that 50,000. We could do 10,000. We could do 5,000. We could do more than that. Awesome. Do that with your church this Love Army weekend. Be unignorably good. And last but not the least, as you consider giving to Global Focus and as you consider giving to Love Army, last but not the least, acts of courage. Acts of courage. Because the work of inclusion takes courage. You know, it took my parents courage that night to embrace the discomfort of inclusion. I am here today because someone else chose to include me. You are here today because someone else chose to include you. May we also go and do the same One Church TO. Through our acts of love, acts of generosity, and acts of courage. In Toronto, in the Philippines, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.